Hey family, welcome to the Recalibrate podcast. It's your host Esther Glory and this is a new episode. Hey guys, I hope you've been well. I hope you've been good. I hope you've recovered from last week's episode. But this is a new episode in the Identity Times Purpose series. Let's dive in. And so this week we're going to be talking about the fragments. We're going to be talking about all the things that are obstacles or act as obstacles to us walking in purpose and identity. So we're going to be talking about fear, about doubt, about shame, about unbelief, all of the things that stop us from walking wholeheartedly and in a decided fashion concerning who we are ordained to be and who we are purposed to be. And so we're going to talk about all the things, all of those things. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome as well. We're going to talk about some of my own personal experiences, but we're also going to look at principles to overcome because ultimately we want principles to see us into the future. And that's what we're here to do at the Recalibrate podcast. And so as usual, guys, make sure that you are you stay tuned in, that you're sharing, you're downloading, you're reviewing. I've been seeing all of your feedback. Please make sure that you feel free to tag us at GloryO underscore or at the Recalibrate podcast. And also feel free to email RecalibrateUK at gmail.com. I so appreciate and love you guys for joining me on this journey. Let's dive in. And so one time, um, basically, uh, this is going to be background for where we are going with um, this episode. But um, one time I was going to be teaching and it was going to be um, surrounding the anatomy of man according to scripture. And it was going to speak about the fact that we as human human beings and mankind are made up of three parts, spirit, soul and body. And I began to get this picture. Um, I, I think it was a. Uh, GCSE science, I think it was in physics, and they would teach us about the the glass block and they would shine a white light through. And if it was at the right angle, then the light would come out on the other side of the glass um, as a white light also. But that if the light was at just a different angle, just tilted slightly, then the um, white light would break up into multiple fragments and it would be different colors, so red, yellow, all of those kinds of things. And I saw that picture while I was preparing um, for my teaching and God began to speak to me about the role of the soul um, in interpreting and in us representing Jesus Christ. And so I obviously began to look more into this. And one of the things that came up to me is that obviously in the spirit, we are made perfect with God. But then in the soul, we begin to experience and interpret that that being made perfect with God in the spirit. And so sometimes when we go through things or when we encounter different things or soul issues or traumas and experiences, they can fragment this perfect revelation or perfect picture or perfect word that God has given to us when we surrender ourselves to him in the spirit. And so these are what I would like to call the fragments. So these are the things that we now live out in our in our um, natural life. So in our flesh, in our bodies, these are the things that we now live out because they've been interpreted and magnified by the soul. And so the first thing I want to the first thing I want to tackle is fear. The first thing I want to tackle is fear. Now 
I could give you a whole load of scriptures concerning fear and what God says about it. But there are over 365 scriptures that talk about fear in the Bible and God's response to it and even the response that he's given us to fear. And so I'm not going to bombard you with a bunch of scriptures. I'm going to require you to go into the Bible and to look for what God says concerning fear for yourself and begin to use that as things to safeguard your heart and your mind from fear. But what I will say is that fear is crippling. Fear that is given governing power in your life can be crippling. And I'm saying this from experience. One of the most prominent years in my journey and in my life was 2018. In 2018, I was the the ability to be crippled by fear was taken from me violently (laughs) because it was something that I would constantly allow to cripple me. And one of the most important things I ever did was to, I got a bunch of flashcards and I wrote down all the scriptures I could find concerning fear. And they were my mantra day to day. So I would wake up and I would read them. Um, I would, every time I ate physical food, I would sit down and I would read those scriptures to myself before and after I ate. If I wanted to, um, engage in any hobby and interest so I like to read I like to write like creative writing or I would like even before I would watch a Netflix show I would sit down and I would make sure that I've read some of those scriptures before I engage in anything else that allowed me to understand what God said about fear what God has to say concerning fear but also how to navigate myself out of a place of fear those words began to build my faith and began to build my boldness in order for me to stand and confront certain things and to be able to say certain things as well that fear was muzzling me and crippling me from saying and so yes I would say that you should prepare a plan of attack for when fear tries to cripple you or to grip you and to stop you from what from who God has called you to become and also what he's called you to do as well I just realized I didn't give you guys my random musing of my heart today (laughs) but before we continue in the episode I'm going to give you my random musing of my heart for today. The random musing of my heart for today is to protect your sobriety. Protect your sobriety. One thing that I realize is that we talk a lot about protecting our space, protecting our peace, but all of these things are also to protect our sobriety. When we have these things in place and when they are in the correct order, then we are able to protect our sobriety. Now, what is sobriety used for? Sobriety is used for making good decisions. Sobriety enables us to say the right thing at the right time. Sobriety allows us to regulate our emotions in such a way that they do not control our actions. Sobriety allows us to even recognize what those emotions are at the onset. Sobriety allows us enough stillness to hear the voice of God. Sobriety allows us to look at things from a rational and logical place. Sobriety allows us to Um, to allow the right things imprint on our minds, on our memories, on our emotions, on our feelings, on our hearts. Sobriety allows us to watch patterns before we, we register promises in our hearts. Sobriety allows our minds to be in the right space to make the right decisions. Sobriety allows us to detect and recognize voices, voices that we should be listening to and voices that we shouldn't. And even when we come to speak about the imposter syndrome later on in this episode, sobriety is one of the things that safeguards us even from the from the accusatory language of the imposter syndrome. Sobriety protects you. Sobriety guards your heart and mind. 
And so something that we ought to be doing to safeguard our mental health, our spiritual health, our ability to meditate is to protect our sobriety at all costs. Now, something that we tell a lot of people who deal with anger and things like that um, to deal with is to deal with sobriety and protecting their sobriety. People who have addictions and all kinds of things, we always tell them about the importance of sobriety. But sobriety isn't just for those on the complete other side of the spectrum. It's for those of us who live a day-to-day life where stresses and different things like that can impact or affect our sobriety. Sobriety is a winning formula. Find your winning formula. Protect your winning formula. Um, So that's the random using of my heart for this episode. I hope that encourages you. But yeah, guys, protect your sobriety. Now let's keep going. Let's keep going in this episode. We've spoken about fear. That's not all that there is, but I do want to encourage you to take ownership for your journey. And so I don't just want to throw out a bunch of um, principles and a bunch of things and the way I did it and things like that, because I do want this to be a journey of encouragement, encouraging you to take ownership for your part in your journey and how you are showing up in becoming and in doing. So we've spoken about some stuff to do with fear. I also want to speak about doubt and shame. Um, One of the things that is so important for us when we are becoming and when we are doing is how vulnerable we have to be. And sometimes I saw a meme the other day and it was basically like therapy and counseling is, is like when you have someone come over and you're showing them all the rooms and they're like, oh, like, is this how you live kind of thing? And it made me laugh because it really, that's really how therapy and counseling be sometimes. Uh, That's really how it be sometimes. But something that I would like to add also is that these things are, you're, you're opening up your perspective and your life to people, not just to feel embarrassed when you leave their presence, but sometimes doubt and shame can cause us to believe that they will think less of us, they will judge us, which is not the role of the counselor and or the therapist at all. But in ge- in general, in life, when we journey with people and we are processing our lives, our purpose, our plans, where we've come from, where we're going to, one of the things that creeps up a lot can be shame. Shame when we encounter the fact that, oh, I didn't actually have a normal life and I'm finding this out in my 20s and now I have to backtrack and do all the processing and the work. It can be hard work, but never let it be out of shame that you didn't, that you, um, Never let it be out of shame that you are um, you begin to isolate or to um, to make yourself feel small or to begin to beat yourself up about who you haven't yet become or what you are yet to do. I think sometimes doubt and shame work hand in hand because we begin to feel the shame of what we've been through. We begin to feel the shame of the fact that we were unaware. We haven't always been self-aware. And then that leads us into, into becoming doubtful about what God has said about us, what we believe about ourselves also. Don't allow shame to change your perspective because that's ultimately what shame does. Shame and, um, Shame and condemnation teach us or educate us to treat ourselves as less than what God has said about us and what we believe we are to become and or to do because they educate us that we are not good enough, that we are inadequate. And if those are things that you've heard literally in your across your life, they reinforce a message. If it's something that you haven't heard, they cause you to begin to doubt who you have always believed yourself to be. 
Doubt, shame and condemnation work hand in hand. Don't allow those things to be the things that educate you on who you are becoming and what you are to do. Now, one of my principles for dealing with doubt, shame and um, even unbelief and condemnation is to write the truth out. Write the truth out. Um, One of the exercises, we'll talk about it in imposter syndrome a bit more as well. But one of the most powerful um, uh, things that or recovery um, activities that I've learned um, was when I was speaking to someone about anxiety and they were talking about grounding principles or grounding themselves to their reality. And I kind of asked them like, oh, what were you speaking about? And they were saying that sometimes when they're having panic attacks, one thing they're taught to do is to begin to um to begin to ground themselves through what they can see physically because sometimes panic attacks can be as a result of spiraling and so sometimes so she was basically saying to me how um what she begins to do is she touches her forehead she touches the center point of her chest and she touches both her palms and she makes sure that she can realize that i am standing in the middle of my living room having a panic attack because i spiraled concerning a, B, C, and D. Now, what that educated me on is that sometimes we need grounding realities when we're dealing with shame, with condemnation, with doubt. We have to know the truth about our reality and what we're actually talking about or what what we're actually encountering in real life um, in comparison to what we may be considering about ourselves and doubting about ourselves. So that's fear shame, doubt, unbelief, condemnation, uh, kind of all wrapped up in one. Before we go into imposter syndrome, because I know that's going to be a bit of a longer um, part of the podcast than the others, is I want to give you the fun fact for this week. Let's make it a little light before it gets a little deep. (laughs) Um, But the fun fact for this week's episode is that the human body quite literally glows. Now that is interesting. Let me tell you something. It might be hard to see with the naked eye, but everyone you pass by every day is literally glowing. The human body emits a small quantity of visible light in the technical sense. The illumination is about a thousand times less intense than levels of light that we would actually be able to see. Researchers in Japan used a special camera to track this glow and found that it fluctuates throughout the day, with the body emitting its lowest levels of light around 10 a.m. and highest at around 4 p.m a rhythm that the scientists attribute to the changes in one's metabolism. Now that is interesting. When we say you is glowing, honey, we're not just talking about in the fact that we can see your smile and we can see that you're winning and we can see your heart through your smile, but you are literally glowing, honey. Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, Let's continue with the episode. So now now we're going to go into talking about the imposter syndrome, the imposter syndrome. Now, this is a big one for me. Um, Listen, it's the imposter syndrome for me. Okay, Um, but why I wanted to speak about the imposter syndrome is because this is probably one of the biggest fragments that deals with people. Um, sometimes like I was speaking about it in one of our earlier episodes, but sometimes we talk about the fear of failure way too much. Sometimes we glamorize the fact that we failed and we've learned lessons from it. And I've even, I'm guilty of saying this, oh, no, no failure is really a failure. It's really a chance to learn, which these things are all true. 
but we speak about failure because it's easier to comprehend than being traumatized by us by our success being traumatized by actually blowing on Instagram or being traumatized by actually being received by the people that you are trying to market yourself to or sometimes being um being um put on a pedestal or being elevated or promoted Sometimes we don't talk about the the trauma that comes with success. And I want to speak about that today and even speak about it in terms of the imposter syndrome. Now, what is the imposter syndrome? Um, The imposter syndrome is basically some other names for it are fraud syndrome, perfectionism, um, phony syndrome. A lot of people um, speak about the imposter syndrome as being based on different things. But to put it simply, the imposter syndrome is the experience of feeling like a phony. You feel as though at any moment you are going to be found out as a fraud, like you don't belong where you are and you only got there through luck. Now, the imposter syndrome is something I can personally say I've encountered a few times, whether it be in work, um, in in my spiritual life, in gifting, in talent and ability and things like that. Um, I remember as early as as childhood, like um, in primary school where they used to do uh, gifted and talented in school and they would always put my name at the top of the list because I could read and write well. And it kind of just stemmed from there and continued going. And even when I wasn't okay, Um, in my mental health or in my mind, whatever was going on with me emotionally was kind of always disregarded because people always saw what I had to offer and not who I was. And so I began to improve what I could do. Listen, there wasn't a course I wouldn't go on. There wasn't a thing I wouldn't study. I loved learning, but it was because I always wanted to improve my skill so that I could safeguard myself emotionally and people wouldn't pay interest to that part of me because they could see what I could do. Now, a red flag for me in relationships would be when I would meet people and they would ask me what I would what I could do. And I could reel off a list of things. But if you ask me who I was, I couldn't differentiate my identity from my purpose. So my purpose and my functions would govern who I thought I was. Um, And now this was a really big thing for me for a long time, probably into my adulthood, um, where where people would just it was just what I could do, what was up for grabs, what was in my hands. But no one would not many people, I should say, no one is a strong statement, but not many people would pay attention to who I was if I was becoming um, um, at all. Um, And so this was a common trend for as long as I could remember. There were very few people who were interested in my identity, who I was. Most people just could look at what I do. And sometimes I feel bad because I used to be like, oh, why don't you care about who I am? Um, And it wasn't necessarily their fault. There was a lot that I could do. I'm, I'm very multifaceted. And so people would usually get caught up in the fact that I could do so many things and do them well. Um, if I do say so myself. Um, and so it was just something that, um, not even from a place of pride, but I didn't blame them for getting caught up in what I could do because even I was, I was surprised and did feel like a fraud in what I could do. Um, I remember sitting down and doing consultations at 16, 17 about marketing, about business, about organizational behavior. And I was like, if these people ever found out my age, they would be like, they would be like, this girl is a fraud. She's this, she's that. And I remember just being like, I hope nobody finds out. 
Now, I most of these things that I learned was because I remember um, helping people through school and I, I was 16 and reading textbooks for people who were at university because I was helping people um, with their assignments and with understanding the work that they were doing for university. And so I was reading ahead of my time when I was just about going into college um, myself. And so there was a lot of knowledge that I had and things that I was acquiring really early on that most people could just couldn't fathom. But I felt like an imposter. And so it kind of started there. It started in my in my teenage years and kind of followed me into adulthood. And when people would try and find out who I was or when they would try and dig out who I was, I was very defensive because I had been the one looking over my own shoulder for so long. Um, outside of my my natural like blood family, um, I would be I was the one who was looking over my shoulder um, for a lot of my life, protecting myself, kind of this lone ranger. Um, having to have my own back because I couldn't really trust anyone because they could vouch for what I could do, but couldn't vouch for who I was. Um, and so in this journey of finding myself, I realized that imposter, the imposter syndrome that I experienced decreased over a period of time um, as I began to identify who I was in God um, and what I was called to do in him also. And I realized that finding your identity actually lessens imposter syndrome. Finding what you're called to do actually lessens the imposter syndrome and its effect, but it doesn't take it away completely. Sometimes I still hear that niggling, accusatory voice that is my own internal self saying, how are you doing this? And how are people responding so well? And so I had to put a recovery plan in place. I had to make sure that I was recovering when I would when I would encounter this accusatory voice, A, by what God had to say about me, but B, by revisiting everything that I knew to be the truth, my grounding principles. And so what would be my principle for you? When you're going through imposter syndrome and when you're struggling to attach who you are and when you've disassociated yourself from who you think you are and who other people believe you to be as well, you need to revisit who God has called you to be, what he has called you to do. And I believe that you should also write letters to versions of yourself. This helps us to associate better with ourselves. One of my favorite activities in counseling was writing letters to my younger self. I began to associate more with who I was at the time rather than disassociating because I didn't want to encounter or to experience that, that level of pain and or anguish ever again. But something I would say would, to encourage you to deal with imposter syndrome is to associate with all the versions of yourself that there are. All of them. And I'm not talking about to have multiple personalities. I'm talking about you as the business person, you as the wife, you as the mother, you as the husband, you as the father, you as um, the grandfather, you as the career driven, the ambitious person that you are, you as um, you as a minister, you as a believer, you as a Christian, you as you, you as you, whatever you're called to do making sure that you have a letter written to that version of yourself that reminds you of the reality that God, God has called you to, to become and to do. Now, what's the recalibrate challenge of the week for this episode? The recalibrate challenge of the week for this episode is to write identity and purpose grounding rules or grounding realities. 
So I'll give you an example, like I always do. Um, One of my grounding realities is that God has made you a multifaceted person. How do I know that to be true? He has given me the ability to compartmentalize and to focus on multiple things at one time and to do so excellently. How do I know? I then have case in point for for the fact that a majority of my um, my degrees, my studying, um, most of my academic career, I've never just been studying, going to school to study what I'm studying. I have either been working in a completely different, unrelated field to what I'm studying, or I have been studying outside of my academic career. And so I know that to be true because I have case in point. So when this accusatory tone comes up and I want to believe that I'm an imposter in the life that I'm living, I always remind myself of the grounding rules, not the ground rules, but the grounding rules of my identity and my purpose. So that's what the recalibrate challenge of the week for this week is, write your identity and purpose grounding rules to remind yourself of what you of how to recover and what you need to say to yourself to recover for when this accusatory tone of the imposter syndrome tries to rise up. And another thing that goes without saying is when imposter syndrome tries to rise up, you pray. Some things only come out by prayer and fasting. And so I would encourage you to pray when when you're trying to recover from the effects of the imposter syndrome or when you may be dealing with its symptoms. One thing I would encourage you to do is to pray. Now, y'all know I love y'all, okay? I don't know why I always go into an American accent, but you guys love me regardless, okay? Um, but I love you guys. I appreciate you so much. If you've made it to this part in the in the podcast, in this episode, I love you guys and I appreciate you guys so much. Please continue to listen, to share, to subscribe, to download, to rate and review. Some of you have asked how you can sew into the podcast. Our PayPal is um, in the link in my personal bio on Instagram at glorio underscore. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and I can't wait to see you in next week's episode. I love you guys. Bye.